Chapter 34 of The Friendly Five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sage Turtle. T-Y-R-T-L-E dot com. The Friendly Five by Mary C. Hungerford. Chapter 34. A whole year had passed since Mr. Bellamy had made the memorable address to the Coventry School, in which he offered a prize of three hundred dollars to the most deserving. He had come from England, as the whole school knew, by his telegram to Mrs. Abbott, but business detained him in New York for a few days, as they also learned from the same source. Now he had come, and for hours had been shut in the parlour, with Mrs. Abbott, Elfie, and Candace, hearing, the girls all supposed, the history of that year which had brought danger and such blessed deliverance from it to his grandchild. There was very little to do but wait, for, foreseeing the occupation of her time to-day, Mrs. Abbott had yesterday read the reports, given the averages, made her little preach, and attended to all the few ceremonies of school closing. "'They also serve who only stand and wait, I have understood,' said Lily. "'But I don't believe I like to be a server.' "'To wait is to conquer,' quoted Katie from the commonplace book. "'Conquer what, I wonder?' asked Lily. "'Not the prize, for all of us are waiting, and there is only one prize.' "'What do you think you conquer by waiting, Marian?' asked Miss Blake of the girl, who had been showing no impatience, but busied herself working on a new strip of her favorite fan-pattern lace. "'I suppose,' said Marian, thoughtfully, "'by exercising patience we conquer our own restless spirits.' "'Now, Marian,' said Lily, in a despairing tone, "'you're going to turn goody-goody. I know you are. You'll live to be a female exhorter or something horrid of that sort if you get off such solemn sentences as that.' extemporate in your callow youth just think of it but reflect on what you're giving up for though i love you to distraction now my affection is not proof against preaching so don't i beseech you show symptoms of it for answer marian fired a big air-filled ball of elfies at her as a convincing proof that she was not utterly given over to solemnity and lily gaily returning the throw the two were soon so deeply engaged in a riotous game that mr bellamy stood smiling at them in the door for some minutes before they saw him the general confusion which was allowable because school had virtually closed the day before being instantly quieted Mr. Bellamy took his place on the platform, and, looking kindly down on the bright young faces upturned to him, said, "'You will remember me, I think, and give me credit for keeping my engagement. It is just one year since I spoke to you before, and offered a prize in memory of my daughter.' Here he laid upon the table a long envelope. "'This,' he said, "'contains a check for three hundred dollars.' with a blank yet to be filled in. What name is to fill the blank is indicated by the words upon the envelope, for the most deserving, and who that title describes, I am going to leave you to decide. My little Elfie will hand you each a slip of paper upon which I beg you to write the name of the one whom you individually think most worthy of the prize according to your own estimation of the word deserving. 
Elfie skipped around with the slips of paper, and after ten minutes, which were spent by her grandfather and Mrs. Abbott in earnest, low-toned conversation, she regathered the paper slips in a little covered basket, each girl folding her paper so that the writing was concealed. "'Now write one for Elfie and one for Candace,' said the child, "'cause we can't write, and we both want the same girl to get the money.' It was not easy to make her understand that none but pupils were allowed to vote, and she was so far from being convinced that she slipped two papers in with the others, which she had scribbled some hieroglyphics, which she understood herself, if no one else could. There were thirty papers to examine, for the ten-day scholars were also included in the competition. Upon examination, twenty-two were found to bear the name of Marion Stubbs. Her face was scarlet as she went up at a sign from Mrs. Abbott to receive the envelope, Mr. Bellamy having put her name on the check. It was in her mind to tell him that she did not feel deserving of such good fortune, for aside from the pleasure of being chosen by the majority of her schoolmates, the money meant more to Marion than it would to any other girl in the school. It meant added comforts for the delicate mother and the little brothers and sisters and some independence of feeling in regard to her own clothes, which through the year had been provided by Mrs. Abbott. She longed to say something of her pleasure and gratitude, but not one word would her trembling lips utter, and Elfie's, Don't cry, Marion, as she threw her arms around her, broke down her composure, and with the child in her arms she ran out of the room slowly followed by Candace, whose dark face was lit up with profound satisfaction. In fact, Candace's delight led her into unusual irregularity of conduct, for turning as she was leaving the room, she said, I think them young ladies is the right sort this term, and old Mammy, she thanks them from the bottom of her heart. Then, with a dignity that would have become the queen whose name she bore, Old Candace bowed low and followed her darling. "'And now,' said Mrs. Abbott, "'I will read you, with her permission, a letter that Marion received today. I hope it will give you as much pleasure as it has given me.' "'Dear Marion, I think you will be surprised to get a letter from me after the bad treatment I gave you. But I have been very sick in Rome, and for a long time the doctors gave my mother no hope that I would live.' I have had a long time to think about everything since I have been slowly getting better, and everything looks very different to me. One night, when I was very sick, I thought I saw you crying all alone in your room because I had made fun of you and been so unkind, and I dreamed little Elfie was hanging over a deep pit, and I was holding her from falling, but I could not pull her out because I had not asked you to forgive me for my bad treatment. That dream came back to me night after night. It was terrible, for I was always so afraid I should let Elfie drop. The cold perspiration used to break out all over me, and I would wake screaming. Then I would wish, oh so hard, that I could ask your forgiveness. And now I am writing this letter a little at a time, for I am very weak, to ask you if you could ever forgive me. I have told my mother all about Elfie, and how it was my fault, and how you saved her, and though she tried not to have me blame myself so much, I know she feels very sorry I was so bad, for Mama seems very different since I was so sick, ever so much nicer, and she has written to Tiffany in New York just to have them send you a watch and chain just like mine. 
dear Marriott, will you say you forgive me? Your friend, if you will have her, Edna. Most of the girls were crying when the letter was finished, for there were few who had not helped to make Marion's life among them very miserable when she was a new scholar, and loving her as they did now, it was a very bitter memory. To a story that is told, should there be anything more added? From a critical point of view, after lastly, there should be no inconclusion. But the readers who have been interested in Marion will be glad to hear that Mr. Bellamy, whose gratitude was as unbounded as his means were ample, seeing the love his grandchild bore to her, legally adopted Marion and provided a yearly income for her mother, so that it was no longer necessary for her to look forward to teaching as a means for supporting them. To be Elfie's elder sister, her loving guide and steadfast friend, is Marion Bellamy's pleasure, and the traits which made her lovable are not dimmed by the love and luxury with which she is surrounded. End of chapter 34 Recording by Sage Turtle, T-Y-R-T-L-E dot com End of The Friendly Five by Mary C. Hungerford